The following audio is from a sermon series entitled Life in Exile, a study of the book of 1 Peter. For more information about Sacred City Church, please visit sacredcitychurch.com. Hear the word of the Lord from 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 1-6. through 6. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live for the rest of time in the flesh, no longer from human passions, but for the will of God. For the first time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flow of debauchery, and they malign you, but they will give you account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. This is the word of the Lord. Today is actually the final sermon uh, from 1 Peter. We've been going through the book of 1 Peter for several weeks now. This is the last sermon from 1 Peter that we'll hear this year in 2017, which is pretty cool. Um, and as that's because this Advent series begins next week, and I, I'm very excited to break up uh, the study that we've been, been in and spend some time preparing our hearts for Christmas. But before we jump the tracks here, Peter is once again going to loudly strike the drum that he has been beating through this entire letter that he's been writing to us. The essence, the, the main point of what Peter is trying to communicate to us as, as the audience today, but also as the original audience that he's specifically writing to, is teaching Christians how we can suffer well for the good of the gospel. Now, as we come to the fourth chapter, Peter is going to put a little bit of a twist on what it means for us to suffer for the gospel, for Christians to suffer. Now, typically, when we think of suffering, we tend to associate that with, with suffering that's imposed upon us by other people. So far in 1 Peter, we've seen this. It, it, the means of suffering has included being rejected, being shamed, being mocked, found offensive, to be slandered, maligned, to face threats, to suffer for doing good, for being dismissed and ignored. Right? This, this all sort of falls under the umbrella of other people causing you to suffer. It happens without you soliciting it uh, from an external source. Now, some of us, we might make it through this life without ever experiencing that kind of suffering. But in our culture, that's becoming less and less common. But today's passage, there's a different form of suffering that Peter wants to bring to our attention. It's one that all Christians must not only endure, but initiate for themselves. It's a sort of self-imposed suffering. It is the root of all other Christian suffering that we might experience as we live all in for Jesus in a culture that's hostile towards us. Now, you might wonder, why would we ever want to self-impose suffering? Right? Why, why not just sidestep it? And avoid suffering altogether, right? If this is the root of it, why not just avoid it? Now, we need to keep this in mind. Christian suffering is not suffering for the sake of suffering. Right? It's not about facing meaningless hardships. Christians aren't martyrs without a cause. We, 
It's not like we're bored and we want to spice up life a little bit by throwing some misery in there. See, for the Christian, all suffering always has a purpose. All suffering is working to reach the ultimate end goal. And Peter has laid this out already for us. So I'll bring it back to you. Back in chapter 1, verse 9, he says this. We suffer to obtain the outcome of our faith, the salvation of your souls. See, this salvation that Peter speaks of is more than the experience that you had at church camp in fifth grade. It's more than just a freedom from the sins that beset on you that you feel like you're always trapped in, though that's part of it. But the salvation that Peter speaks of, it's much bigger than that. It's to be completely and wholly restored with God. We saw this in last week's passage uh, in, in chapter 3, verse 19, where the, the apex, the high point of the gospel is to bring us to God. It's not just for the forgiveness of sins. It's not just to justify us. It's not just to sanctify us. Though those things are part of the gospel, but it's to bring us. All of those things happen to the end of bringing us to God. Now, this means we will be free from sin and the curse. Everything broken would be made right. The joys that we experience here in this life will be intensified to a degree that we can't even comprehend. We see relationships restored, the character flaws in us mended, and the muting of the voice that says, you're not good enough. Now, so often we think about salvation, right? We, we, we tend to downplay the significance of it. On Sunday mornings, it's easy to hype it up. We can sing about it. We, 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 we recite it through the liturgy. We, we come to the scriptures to be reminded of this salvation. But it tends to happen where Monday morning we forget all about it. We forget how potent, how relevant it is to our daily lives. My prayer is that we would begin to see just how significant salvation is through all of life. You see, the salvation is something that you've been longing for all week long. You might not even realize it. Every ache, every desire hidden within inside of it is this desire for salvation. See, this salvation is the ultimate pleasure that sex points to. It's the ultimate beauty that a sunset on the beach traces. It's the feeling of refreshment and rest that you keep chasing with your vacations and getaways. Although, in this point of my life, uh, having two little boys under the age of three, these vacations and family getaways seem more like uh, what it would be like to endure hell uh, than it is refreshing. But maybe someday that'll turn around, I hope. Right? It's, it's the, the pat on the back that you spend all your life working so hard to get. It's the greatest and purest fulfillment of your deepest desires. This salvation is everything. Something happens here. If we sidestep suffering... Right? If we dodge it, we move out of the way of it, you will sidestep the true glory of salvation. You'll miss out on this, the very thing that all your desires are pointing toward. 
And so in today's passage, we're going we're to dig into this. We're gonna, what does it look like to suffer? What does it look like to suffer today if we want to experience tomorrow's glory? So if you would, grab your Bible. Um, if you don't have a Bible, there's a Bible right in front of you in the pew. Um, turn to page 589. And, and if you don't have a Bible, there's words on the screens. But here, let me just take a moment. I know it's so easy to just look at the screen, but I was listening to a lot of uh, podcasts this week as we traveled about the Reformation. And one of the things that was so important about the Reformation was that the people of God having access to the word of God for themselves, where you don't rely on the priest to tell you what God's word is, you can pick it up for yourself. And so what a gift that is for us to have the word of God right before us, to access for ourselves. So I want to encourage you to grab the Bible. And I know you have your phones, but even your phones, right? Your phones can be so distracting, notifications popping up, all this. But this is a time where we can gather together around the Bible, around God's word, and say, God, you speak to us, you're... You're, you have our full attention. So would you grab your Bibles with me this morning and let's open up there. It's page 589 in the Pew Bible. On top of that, just going along with where our text is going to lead us, this opening up our Bibles together is one of the ways to apply what, what Peter is going to command for us today here in chap, chapter 4. So why don't you open up, look at chapter 4, verse 1 with me. Peter says, Since... Therefore, Christ suffered in the flesh. Now, when he's talking about Christ suffering in the flesh, he's already been explaining what this means for Christ to be suffering in the flesh. If you want to trace back to chapter 3, verse 18, where he, he really highlights this, he says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. This is the suffering that Peter is referring back to where Jesus suffered for us there on the cross, where he was in the flesh. He suffered for us, taking our place. That Jesus was unjustly condemned to death in human court, but he was vindicated by God, by the judge who judges justly, where Jesus was made alive in the spirit, as chapter 3 goes on to say, he's made alive in the spirit. He was seated in victory at the right hand of God, where he is making all things new and working for the redemption of all things. So this is what Peter's pointing back to, the suffering of Christ. And so in this sense, God has sort of pulled back the curtain, revealing to us that salvation, this thing that we crave, comes only through the suffering of Christ. See, the access to all of our greatest and purest desires of our heart comes only through the suffering of Jesus. Now, this suffering wasn't some sort of auxiliary suffering. Like, like, maybe if we look at this from the right angle, we can maybe learn a lesson from this. That's not the case. The author of Hebrews tells us that it was by suffering that Jesus was perfected. Now, that that's kind of a bizarre statement to say, but, but, but just sort of uh, saving a lot of legwork. What he's saying here is by suffering that Jesus was made sufficient to be our Savior. This wasn't just an add-on thing for Jesus to say, yeah, he suffered, but this was essential for Jesus to be our Savior. Now, I want to connect some dots here because not only was suffering necessary for Christ, but it is also necessary for you and me. If you recall in 1 Peter chapter 2, 
uh, verse 21, Peter says that Christ's suffering, that Christ's life of suffering leaves an example for us to follow. So not only do we follow in Jesus' footsteps in our suffering, but we follow in Jesus' footsteps to the end in which suffering brings us to, which is to be perfect. See, God's goal for your life is nothing short of making you perfect like Jesus. There's something you don't realize about yourself most days. You are jammed pack with potential. Now, it might seem kind of sacrilegious to say this because we tend to put a lot of emphasis on sin, and sin does, in fact, hinder this potential we have. But because of the superior good news, because grace is greater than sin, there is good news in the redemption of Christ, that nothing is more true than the magnificent potential that's within you. Now, I was thinking about this today, right? If I can look across the table and say, wow, you're not there yet, but God is doing something in you that's going to be marvelous. Right? If we can sit down across the table from our MC family and say, I see God doing this in you, and I can't wait to see the finished result, how much more should that in, in, like, sort of fuel our drive for mission to see our neighbors and coworkers who do not yet know Jesus? Right. There, there's something special about each person made in the image of God with inherent value, dignity, and worth. And to look at them and say, man, you will not believe what God's going to do with you. I think that's an incredible motivator for mission, to be part of the work that God is doing. Something to chew on. Now, I was thinking about this, this potential that we have, this, this sort of incredible, we're on the verge of amazing. And there's these videos that sort of cir- circulates, these videos that are uh, the um, humans are amazing videos. Maybe you've seen them. There are these videos of people doing just impossible things, right? Um, people doing parkour, right? That's where you like, doing flips off of buildings and stuff like that, people uh, doing crazy stuff with, with BMX bikes and, and jumping off mountains and all these kinds of crazy things. Absolutely astonishing, right? Well, I, I look at these videos and my jaw drops. I'm like, how is this even possible, right? These people are incredible. Yet internally, when I look at them, there's this, in, in this voice that says, you know what, Sam? You can never do that. There's no way I could ever do that. But that's where I'm wrong. I think that's where we, we all go wrong. We see something like that. That's incredible. I can't do that. Now, maybe we won't have these exact accomplishments in our lifetime, right? I don't foresee myself doing backflips on a BMX bike anytime soon. But here's the thing. God is making every single Christian into the type of person who could be featured in a video like that. Every single Christian could be in a highlight reel like that. Because God is recreating us into the type of humans that make your jaws drop. In fact, if we go back to what Peter said earlier in chapter 1, he's saying the angels long to look into the work that God is doing. 
So there's going to be a day where angels are sitting there on YouTube watching you do cool stuff. Why? Because God is doing something amazing in you. But to reach your full potential, there's a process. You must take intentional steps toward that end goal. You don't just wake up one day and you're not able to summit Mount Everest. You're not, you're not able to do these backflips. It takes work and effort and intentionality. And the same is true of reaching your full potential as a human. And what God calls this, this process is called sanctification. This is, this is the process of becoming more beautiful like Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, this isn't something where you white-knuckle yourself towards this, where God did 50% of the work in saving you, and now it's up to you to do the rest of the 50%, right? Sanctification requires just as much reliance upon God as salvation did, right? We, we confess it today. You were dead in your sins. Dead people can't do anything. But God made you alive by his grace, and it's same true of, of sanctification. That God makes you alive, but he also gives you his power through his spirit to take steps toward him. Sanctification is the cry of the Christian that says, I want to be more like Jesus, but God, do I need your help. Now, the first step to taking and moving toward your full potential and becoming more like Jesus begins right here in verse 1. He says, Since therefore Christ has suffered in the flesh, arm yourself with the same way of thinking. He says, Arm yourself with the mind of Christ. Before any tangible effort is put forward, you must have a mindset change. Having Jesus' perspective on things is essential. It's essential for enduring any sort of suffering that might come your way. Now, I'll confess, I'm about the least enthusiastic CrossFitter in the history of mankind. If you don't know what CrossFit is, it's, it's this like workout fad that's sort of popped up in the last 10 years. A lot of people are really into it, and... and and you know the people who are into it, right? These people are very vocal about their love for fitness and dieting and working out and lifting heavy weight, right? There's just a whole culture that this creates. And some of these people live for the gym, right? They wake up every day is like, man, I can't wait to the gym. Uh, where my mindset is like, man, I can't wait till the gym closes. <laughs> right, I, I view going to the gym as the physical equivalent of going to the dentist. I just don't want to do it, although I know I should. And so, unlike most CrossFitters, I am less than enthusiastic about working out. In fact, I'm quite cynical. Often days I walk in there, I'm just like, this is the dumbest thing ever. Why am I here? <laughs> Yet I show up a few times a week. And some days I look at the whiteboard and see what the workout is, and I see that it's very demanding. It's, a, it's a, a heavy workload. Maybe it's a long workout. It causes me to run or do a lot of stuff that I'm very bad at. And so before I go to warm up, before I engage with this workout, something has to happen. Otherwise, I'm just going to walk out the doors. It's happened before. 
I have to have a mindset change. I need to get a different perspective on why I'm doing this. Unlike other people, I'm not really motivated about moving heavyweight, right? I don't care about my personal records a whole lot. But my goal in working out is to stay healthy, right? To stay healthy for my family, to be here for the long haul, to take care of my body. And so when my mindset changes of why I actually am entering the gym for the first time, I'm more ready, I'm willing to actually jump into the workout, to actually participate, and maybe, you know, who knows, it might be fun. Now, this doesn't make, this mindset change doesn't make the workout any easier, but it gives me a reason to push through, right? It gives me a purpose, it gives me an end goal. Changing my mindset keeps me from walking out the door. Now, the same thing must happen when we're living the Christian life. We need a mindset change in order to to affect our action. We need the mind of Christ. And the mind of Christ was this, for the joy that was set before him, Jesus endured the cross. That was his mindset. Jesus saw the joy on the other side of suffering and he was willing to, to push through it. This was his mindset. Now, thinking like Christ is far more than just having positive thoughts. It's more than a mind-over-matter experience. See, what we're talking about is letting the Spirit of God completely override your own desires. That's what it means to have the mind of Christ. That the Spirit of God is in you, teaching you, showing you how to operate. No, you're still you, right? Your personality is still there. The quirkiness, the originality that God has created in you, that's still there, but the Spirit of God is working through you to make you the most Christ-like version of yourself there is. See, that's the end goal here. But what's fascinating about this passage is the manner in which we're called to have the mind of Christ. Peter says, arm yourself. Now, if you remember back in in chapter 1, verse 12, it's similar to what he says, gird up the loins of your mind. Okay, that's weird stuff, but but he's talking about this combat language, right? Get ready to fight. This arming yourself with the mind of Christ, to think like Christ, it is intentionally preparing to engage whatever situation that you might face by God's providence, now, let me be clear, this is not a doomsday prepping passage, right? Some people here arm yourself and it's like, I know I need to go buy ammo. It's not that. It's not, it's not to go hide out in a bunker. This is a call to prepare yourself right now by, by being rooted in the gospel. To be prepared for the adversity that will come tomorrow. See, this doesn't mean we avoid it doesn't mean we sidestep it. It means we learn how to press through it, how to, how to endure when this trouble comes, right? When your marriage is on the brink, when work has become really hard, when your boss is being incredibly difficult to work for, right? when you're on the, on the verge of an existential crisis, right? Why am I here? What is the purpose? What is the meaning of life? to arm yourself today for those things that might come up. Now, 
thinking the way that Christ thinks is not something that accidentally happens. It's not a voluntary reflex. It takes resolve and conviction because your, your sinful desires are constantly pulling you in the opposite direction. There's a competition going on between your fleshly desires and the mind of Christ that is trying to lead you. And what this means is that if, if you're not pursuing the mind of Christ, you are drifting further into the desires of your sinful humanity. Right? It's just like fitness. Nobody gets fit on accident. Right? You take a few days off, a few weeks off from the gym, you don't gain fitness, you, you backslide. The same is true with the mind of Christ. And if we don't have that, we're, we're drifting further into our sinful state. Now, if you were to do a survey of the church today in America, I think there are far too many professing Christians who are taking the if it happens, it happens approach to sanctification. Right, Many of us exert very little energy thinking about what it looks like for us to reach our full potential. Now, I know that the new year is coming up, and that's typically a time where we start to think through our resolutions, right? what it's going to look like for us in the next year to take some steps towards our goals. But what typically happens is we make plans based upon our financial aspirations, where we want to be at work, what our family should look like, where we're going to vacation this year. And we put very little thought towards what it looks like for me to look more like Jesus this year. See, we are not thinking spiritually. We tend to have a very short-sighted goal for ourselves. It's not an eternal goal. It's not, not looking on the horizon to see what's before us, what God's going to do with our unlimited potential. We're just looking one, five, maybe ten years down the road. When God's like, guys, if you could just lift your eyes up and see what I have in store for you. Now, over the last few weeks, I've, I've been sharing my heart with you here and there about what I hope to see in our city over the next several decades, where there would be a gospel movement that burst forth from this church, not just this church, any gospel preaching church, where the gospel is, is making an impact in our city in a way that it hasn't done for decades Now, this only happens, this, this gospel movement will only happen when the individuals who make up the church start arming themselves with the mind of Christ. We need to start thinking spiritually with an eternal perspective. We need to start enduring the suffering that comes today and not backing down from it, but moving through for it because there is joy on the other side of it, not only for us, but for those people in our lives that we're on mission to. Now, if we want to have this sort of life, to make this sort of impact, there are three essential elements that must be present in your life. And I don't get very practical like this very often, but these are three musts that have to be present in your life. The first one is Christian community, right? You need support. This life that God calls us to is very discouraging, as we talked about last week. It's easy to grow weary and get faint so that's why we need community, to be there for one another, to bear burdens with each other. A second thing that has to be present 
is that we must be students of the word. There is no other place in all creation where God more clearly communicates to us what the mind of Christ is like. Not just in the Gospels, not just in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, but throughout all of Scripture. All of Scripture is unfolding God's redemptive plan. What Christ is excited about is doing God's will. And so it is in Scripture where we, where we understand, where we see what the, what the mind of Christ looks like. And the, and the third thing that must be present in our life is we must be utterly dependent upon the Spirit. And the way that manifests itself is through prayer. Now, I think a lot of us think of prayer as this, this interaction that we have with God where I come and I bring my laundry list of wants and desires before him and say, God, if you could just, just throw that out for me, I'd really appreciate that. But the principal thing of prayer is to teach you what it looks like to be dependent upon God. Just imagine, friends, just imagine the impact on what, what we would be like here if we were a church that was stupidly dependent upon the Spirit. That if there was none of us, right, it's not about our effort and what we exert, but letting the power of Christ dwell in us, let Him propel us in whatever way God would have us to go. Just think of the impact. Just think of how enjoying it would be to live on mission in that way. I mean, don't get me wrong, it's, it's hard to live on mission. It's exhausting. There's all kinds of things that weigh on us and press us and, and pull away from us. But, but if instead of it being relying upon our power source and, and it be, being dependent upon Christ's spirit that is within us, just think of how much more effective we could be. So it is in those three things, those elements that we must embody in this life that we adopt, that we get to see, that we Embrace the mind of Christ. Now in the second half of verse one, what Peter's gonna do here, he's going to liken our suffering to the suffering that Jesus faced. He says, since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourself with the same way of thinking, for whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. No, he, here he is, connecting Christ's redemptive suffering to the suffering that we face as redeemed people pursuing Christ. He's not saying that when you suffer, you have stopped sinning totally, right? Like sin is no longer an issue in your life. In fact, that's the opposite. Oftentimes when we are, when we are suffering, we are the most susceptible to temptation, right? When we're weak, when we're tired, when we're worn out. So that's not what he's saying. What Peter is saying here is that, that when you are willing to suffer for Christ, that's when soon sin loses its power over you. When you are actively allowing the reign and power of Jesus Christ in your life, sin becomes less enticing. Your desire for sin ceases. Having Christ's mind will foundationally change the way you live from this point forward. Take a look at verse 2. So as to live the rest of the time in the flesh. What he's talking about, to live the rest of your life, as long as you have breath in your lungs, to live the rest of your time, no longer for human, fa human passions, but for the will of God. See, no longer 
Are you driven by the sin in your life? No longer does that guide you and push you to do what you do, but now you desire to live for the will of God. See, that is what happens when our mind is set on Jesus. Why? Because Jesus' mind himself was set on doing the will of God. That nothing else pleased Jesus more than doing what God sent him to do. So for us, allowing God to have our way with you, to do the will of God, this is what launches you toward your full potential. Now, to live this way means the former ways of living by the, by the sinful passions that, typic, that once drove you to do what you did are now behind you. Look at verse 3. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. Now, this is almost like a joke. Peter's like, oh, yeah, the time that was perfect for doing those things was yesterday. You missed it. All those things that was fit for you to do yesterday, but today is today. Today there is a, a better goal, a better vision for your life. See, when you see things like Christ sees things, the way of living like Peter qualifies as the Gentiles, do he's speaking of people who are not yet believers, to that lifestyle becomes unappealing and dissatisfying, at least to the extent in which they indulge in it, right? Where these people, though they did not know Christ, they were chasing the things that Christ offered, but they were going through the avenue of drinking and sex and food and entertainment. See, these things were never meant to satisfy that deep desire they had for salvation. And so they overindulged. Now, with the exception of idolatry here, Food, drink, sex, entertainment, they are not inherently bad. Don't read this list as a prohibition of all of these things. Right? God has given us these things as gifts to enjoy, whether it be alcohol or food or entertainment or, or parties to celebrate. These are gifts that God has given us. But these things are best enjoyed within God's parameters. See, when we start looking at these things to give us the joy and the pleasure that, that can only be found in God, we start making mistakes. And this is what Peter is cautioning his readers about. The biggest difference between Christians and non-Christians is where you go to scratch that itch for your joy and fulfillment. That's the biggest difference, where you go. Now, a non-Christian will go in any place they want to, but a Christian will only go to God. They see God as the ultimate fulfiller of happiness and the giver of joy and life. See, reaching our maximum potential is learning to find everything that we need in God. That, that's what the paradox of this is. If you want to reach your ultimate potential, your greatest potential, you don't need to look to yourself, you need to look to God. See, this is what makes Jesus such an exemplary model for us to follow, that nothing pleased him more than doing the will of God. And this is what God's aim is for us, that we might have a deep contentment in himself that launches us into our full potential. Now, transitioning to that kind of life, 
away from the flesh, away from the desires of sin, and toward the will of God, to live life in the Spirit. It's a very hard thing for us to do. I don't speak of it lightly. Because before we came to Christ, all we knew how to do was to chase the desires of our sinful flesh. See, there's a learning curve here in having the mind of Christ. But really, it's much more than just a learning curve. See, what it is, the most accurate way to describe it, it's a dying to yourself to live in the life of the Spirit. You see, when you're becoming more like Jesus, that that word is sanctified. When you're becoming sanctified, two things are simultaneously happening. The first thing, you are becoming increasingly alive in the Spirit. We talked about this at the beginning of 1 Peter, that you are born again by the Spirit of God. See, as you grow in the gospel, you become more alive. You become more alive. More, more, you thrive more in the Spirit. The, the Puritans called this the vivification of the Spirit, to come alive in the Spirit. But the second thing that's happening is a dying to your own selfishness or your sinfulness. It's a mortification, a putting to death of sin. Now, sanctification, now, while it's life-giving, can be very painful. In a real sense, it is like dying to yourself. But it is a redemptive suffering, one that is necessary for you to become your full potential. Now, this is the self-induced suffering that all Christians should be experiencing. Right, for us to be saying no to sin and yes to Jesus. It's an internal drive that God has put in us through the mind of Christ, the spirit that lives inside of us to resist whatever sinful desires we have that might pop up and to pursue Christ. It means closing that browser. It means knowing when enough eggnog is enough eggnog. It means eating like a Christian and not a, not a glutton. It means choosing virtue over entertainment and sensuality. It means avoiding certain activities that you have previously done in your former life. Those are the implications of the spirit living in you. Like I said, to live this way is very hard work, and it's, it's really unpopular, actually, within the culture. As verse 4 says here, it says, with respect to this, They, that's the outsiders, the non-Christians, are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery and they malign you. Now, here here Peter says the outsiders, the people who don't get it, the people who don't understand the gospel yet, they see the way that you're living. They're like, this doesn't make any sense. There's no framework for them to understand why you wouldn't do the things that you did three years ago, ten years ago. I just remember Time Hop is such a humbling little app, right? I don't know if you have Time Hop on your phone or whatever, but it basically uh, archives all of your, your social media posts from however long they go back, and it brings it up. On this day, this happened, right? And man, I tell you, 10 years ago, I said a lot of stupid stuff. A lot of stupid stuff. There's a time in my life where I was just, I felt like I had to be the life of the party. I felt like I had to drink. I felt like I had to be the party guy. And so I said a lot of stupid stuff. I, I involved myself in a lot of unbeneficial activities. And I just remember the point in my life where I stopped doing those things. 
people were like, Sam, what's wrong with you? You used to do this stuff. You used to come out and party with us all the time. Why don't you want to do that anymore? And I had, I had the fortune of, of having friends that were pretty understanding. They, they didn't really get it, but they're like, you know, if that's what you want to do, that's fine. But there are a lot of people who go through that, and people are, why would you do this? You're an idiot. You're a weirdo. See, this is why sanctification is the root of all the suffering you will face on account of your faith. Because if you are being sanctified, if you are changing to look more like Christ, people are going to notice. If you're not being sanctified, if you're not growing to more, into more like Christ-likeness, people aren't going to say anything because there's no evidence of it. But if there is evidence of God's power bearing fruit in your life, you will catch flack for it. But friends, that's okay. Because it means God is doing what he said he would do in you. Peter, in verses five and six, he basically says this. He says, don't worry about what the other people say. Don't worry about how they try to humiliate you or make fun of you because in the end, they will have to give an account to God. So whatever suffering they impose on you, don't be discouraged. This suffering is helping to make you reach your full potential. Now, friends, this work that's been set out before us right here to become more Christ-like. It's hard, like I said. It's hard. It's hard work. It's exhausting. But here's the thing that I want you to hold on to this morning, that God is supplying the power for this to happen. God is supplying the means necessary to get you to your full potential, but he wants you to be involved with this process as well. He wants you to set your mind on Christ. He wants you to desire what he desires, to see creation. This is what God's desire is, to see creation, all of creation at its maximum potential. And here's the reality that I know is true, that we will fail at this. As much as we might desire to do the will of God, we will be tempted and sin. We'll, for every one step forward, we're bound to take two steps back. We're bound to put our own desires before the will of God. But let me assure you of this good news. Your sin does not mess God up. Your sin does not ruin his plan of, of taking you to, his, to your maximum potential. See, it is through that, by calling out for God and his grace that's available to you in Christ, not only to forgive you of sin, but to sustain you in the pursuit of what is good, right, and perfect, God is willing to meet your call. Even as we sin, God is using it for our greater good to teach us how to run back to Christ, to long for the power and the grace that he supplies for us to not only be called from death to life, but to live fully in our life. Now this morning we come to the Lord's table. And this is a special thing for us. We do it every week. But this is a special thing for us because right here in this moment in time, Christ is present with us. As the saints come to the table and, and stretch out their hands to receive the body of Christ and the blood that was shed for the forgiveness of sins, 
God is supplying you with the grace for what you need to lean into your suffering. He's saying, by my son's body who is broken and his blood that was shed, I am healing you so you can be at your, your maximum potential. And so this morning we come with great excitement for what God has done on our count, and we look forward with anticipation for what will be. Father, we thank you for the grace that you have made available to us in Christ. Help us now to receive the mercy that we need to not only just live, but to thrive, to, to, to strive for our maximum potential. We ask that you'd graciously give us the mind of Christ as we take in the body and the blood. Would you change us from the inside out? Through Christ's name we pray, amen.